right. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, Galatians is in the second half of your Bible. And uh, you just can find right in the middle, you're going to find the book of Psalms or Palms, however it reads to you. And then just keep headed towards the back. If you make it to the maps, you've gone too far. Galatians is a really small book, but it's right there after a few people's names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it'll be Galatians and then Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You'll find them all right there, okay? Galatians chapter 2. And I really want you to turn there tonight because, man, there's really nothing great that I have in me to give you. And so I've come on assignment from the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you some things from his word. And we've gathered here tonight because we value the word of God. And we believe that God wrote a book. And we believe that it has the the power to impact our lives because the words of God are the words of life. It says that God spoke everything into existence and so that he wrote some things down through the pens of men throughout the, the seasons and the pages of history. We can read those things tonight and they can have great impact on our life tonight. So Galatians chapter two is where we're gonna be at tonight. I don't know, are there any Nacho Libre fans in the house? Nacho Libre, no, no, older movie. Older movie, but it's a classic, right? I mean, it's timeless, you know? I mean, it has, it, it, if you've never seen Nacho Libre, man, it has every, the recipe of every great movie is in Nacho Libre. It's a love story. It's a love story. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I, it, I mean, it, it is like a, it's a, it's a rocky Cinderella, like there's fighting in this movie. Uh, it's, it's multi, you know, multicultural. I mean, there's Spanish, there's English, and there's other. And it's got Jack Black in it. And, you know, I mean, it's got all the comedy. It's got all the stuff in it. And, um, Nacho Libre, just to kind of date myself, it was, it was kind of a big deal. Like it was a box office hit uh, when I was getting married. And so my wife and I, um, in, the, in the vein of just kind of loving Nacho Libre and Lucha Libre, uh, we were in Mexico and we decided we would buy some luchador masks. Because when you're in Mexico, you know, when in Rome or when in Rome, whatever you, whatever you say it, right? And uh, so we bought some luchador masks and we were on a family vacation. We've been married about a month and, and we were like totally embarrassed in our, our family because we decided we were going to go to these Mayan ruins and we were going to bring our luchador masks and then we would wear them and we would take all these stupid pictures because we like to have fun with each other, my wife and I. We've been married about 15 years. We still love to have fun with each other. And here's a picture of us at the Mayan ruins. You can see right here, uh, we're wearing our masks and we're kind of poking our heads out of the little door there and um, and so just to kind of um, get to know one another better this was this was back in the day where you know big hair is making a comeback um, but this is back in the day where I had big hair and I didn't care and so I was wearing this mask all around and we're taking these pictures and you can see me right here this is us in a in a serious photo um, right here this next one yeah look at all that hair wow wow all right pull that down before we start stumbling up in here all right pull that down all right so so y'all get the picture, right? We're wearing these masks, and people are looking at us like, why? Why would you do that? You know, they're, I mean, they're just like, what are you doing? Why would you, why would you wear a mask? And, and we're like skipping around, taking pictures. We're having a good time, but everyone's looking at us like, there's something off with you people. And why would you come to this place? Why would you wear a mask? And like, just, hey, hey, and, and eventually her family's like, hey, hey, take off the mask, you know? You're, you're, you're freaking everyone out, and it's a little bit weird, and and why would you wear a mask? Just be who you are. And the reason why I start there tonight is because spiritually speaking, we've all come in with a mask. There's a tendency to show up to a place like this with a mask on. Now, don't look at me like y'all like y'all ain't coming here with some sort of, you know, front. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, y'all know, y'all pulled into the parking lot, you turned whatever, you know, Turned, you know, uh, whatever music you was listening to, you turned, you turned off that music. You know, Doja Cat, you turned her down, right? 
You say, I'm in the church now. Let me turn up some K-Love or whatever it is you're listening to. And you, tu- and, and you came in here and like, like maybe you were like just on one today at the office, but then you roll up in here and you're like, you know, and then you dab somebody up. You're like, what's up, brother? You know, using language like that. You don't talk that way at the office, right? You're saying things like blessed. And some of you, you know the church jargon. And then some of you, maybe you're here for the first time and, and, and there was like a deep breath, I'm at a church, lightning don't strike, that sort of thing, but I'm going to pretend like I'm cool, I'm cool, but your hands are sweaty right now and you're nervous because you don't know what's coming and is this going to be, you know, and we've come in here, there's a tendency to show up to places like this and to put on a front and to pretend like we've got it all together. And listen, this is common in Christianity. We're doing this series called Stereotypes, you know, stereotypes that that influence the way the world sees Christians. And one of the the top things that people will accuse Christians of is, man, they are judgmental, they are homophobic, and they are hypocritical. They're hypocritical. And there's really good reason why the world would look at people in the church and say, man, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Here's five things that Christians do that are hypocritical. Let me just kind of, let me see if you can relate to some of these things. Christians have a tendency to criticize people's sex life while they're looking at porn and masturbating. I probably shouldn't have started with that one. That was heavy, y'all. That was heavy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That should have been number five. Here we go. Uh, Christians have a tendency to hype politics more than the Bible. Look, I, your parents, I know, I know y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all know. Like, they big, like, Trump's coming back. He's going to return. The Trump's going to sound. Like, no, come on, bro. No. Don't, don't hide politics more than the Bible, man. We, you know, it's okay to be political, but we've come here as Christians to be biblical. Here's one. Uh, you, judge, you judge her clothes while you binge watch Game of Thrones. Hypocritical. Uh, here's one. Um, I, I serve at the church all the time, but you don't even know your neighbor's name. Um, here's one, um, man, I, like, I'm in, I am all-star, I'm intern, ambassador, whatever the name is, at the church, but I'm late to work and I'm lazy. Hypocritical, you know what I'm talking about. Like we, and we've all been this, you know, one of these things, I'm sure, before. Ain't nobody perfect in here. But there's a tendency for people to look at the church and, and they're saying, hey, man, they're, they're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And, like, I remember I would be falling in the category of overt hypocrite in the church. Like, I remember growing up, I grew up in the South. You'll hear this in my voice a little bit, in the boots, you know, boot, my roots in my boots, all right? So I grew up in the South. In the South, you get a birth certificate and a Bible, y'all. Like, it's just like you hear about all the Jesus stuff, and, and it just kind of becomes like this second nature to talk about Christianity and to, like, say a prayer before the game and, and to pretend like you're, you know, you're in with Jesus and then go out and live like crazy. And so for me, there came a point in my life where I was like, man, I am the biggest hypocrite. And I remember, like, if you were to ask me, like, how's your faith, I'd be like, you know what, like, I think me and God are good, but like I'm sort of following Jesus. You know, I'm just kind of kind of following, you know. Not not great, not terrible. I mean, I'm better than that guy, but I'm just kind of following. I'm just sort of a Christian. And then I started reading the Bible, y'all, and there's there's not a category for sort of following Christ. Like when you read the Bible, um, you, you'll find that you're either following Jesus or you're not. And for me, when I started reading the Bible, I started seeing like there's not a category to be a seven in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, you're either light or dark. You're either in, you're out, I and mean, there's no middle ground. And we've somehow created this extra biblical Christianity in our culture where we can sort of be a Christian, and that was definitely what I had bought. But then I started reading the Bible, and I realized I'm wearing a mask. I'm a hypocrite. And when you start to really admit that, and then you start to live there with the mask, it's exhausting. 
y'all ever done that before where you're like, man, like I, I know what God's word says, but I know that I, what I'm doing with women. I know what God's word says, but I know all my anxious thoughts and my worries. I know what God's word says, but I can't forgive them. And you're kind of feeling the anxiety and the pressure of the hypocrisy. And I don't know about you, but man, that is, that is a terrible, miserable place to live. Like for me, a part of my story is like I, I just had to come to the point where I got sick and tired of what I call the roundabout of ridiculousness. You ever been in a roundabout before and then just kind of go, gone around and around? And that was me, spiritually speaking. I was like, I'm going to sin and then I'm going to confess, oh God, would you forgive me? I'm going to go to the block KC and I'm going to get right. Then I'm going to be tempted <laughs> and then I'm going to sin and then I'm going to be like, oh God, I'm going to go to the block KC. God, would you forgive me? I'm going to get right. And then I'm going to go Sunday to Little Next of Baptist and I'm going to get really right, but then I'm going to get tempted again. And then I'm going to sin and I'm like in this roundabout of ridiculousness. And for me, it was exhausting. I was tired of it and something had to change and so here's what I did I pulled off the mask I admitted my hypocrisy and I started trying to follow Jesus and trying to be a man of integrity and a man of integrity or a woman of integrity is that you simply try to be who you say that you are and the world is longing for and you are longing for the reason why you're here tonight is because you want to follow a God that is who he says he is and you want to be with people that are authentic. And here's the deal. Like, does that mean that you become perfect automatically? No. But when you pull the mask off, what you're saying is that I'm going to admit when I don't get it right. And then I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try to be who I claim that I am. And so if I claim to be a Christian, I'm going to try to follow Jesus. I'm not just going to say I'm a Christian, learn some spiritual songs, and then just kind of live a different life. I'm going to try to have integrity or consistency in my walk. So tonight, um, if you've come in here and you've struggled with this hypocrisy, um, maybe you're asking, well how, well, how did you, like Chad, you said that you just kind of, you pulled the mask off? Like, what, is, what does that look like? How did you do that? Well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't someone coming to me saying, hey, 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 Chad, 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 quit being a hypocrite. Does that ever work? What if I came to you tonight and I said, hey, I've got a message for you. Stop it! You know, and I just start yelling at you, throwing microphones, and Nick and Michael, they're going to be like, well, we made the wrong decision, you know. Like, yeah, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. What happens is that people came to me and they started reminding me of the main message of the Bible. Instead, they started reminding me of, of God's character and his goodness. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to change. It's not some red-faced person saying, you've got it all wrong, you've got to change, you, you suck, you know, that kind of thing, all right? It's not that. It's us being reminded of the gospel. Listen, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, that the gospel is the cure to our hypocrisy. The gospel is the cure to our hypocrisy. And tonight, I want to remind us of the gospel. And if you're taking notes, I've titled the talk tonight, The Cure to Hypocrisy. And again, the cure to hypocrisy is the gospel. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Galatians, it was written by one of the greatest theologians of all time, a guy named Paul. And Paul had his life flipped, turned upside down, y'all. It it's incredible. You should read about it on your own time. But he is now trying to help people understand the gospel and how that has implications in their life. And the oldest book in the New Testament is the book of Galatians. It was the first letter that was written back in the day. And so Paul's kind of early on in his ministry, and what he's doing is he's writing to people who had accused him of not being legit. They're like, Paul, you don't have authority, you're not legit, you're not a real, you know, influencer, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, no, no, guys, this is what God has done in my life. 
and he's, uh, he's testifying to like, I am legit, I have authority. And then they're also throwing shade on his message, like, Paul, you don't have the right gospel, and it's this, and you don't have it all right. And Paul's, he's fighting for the pure gospel in this message that he's written to these people in Galatians. What he's basically saying is, guys, guys, I'm legit, and the message that I brought to you is legit, and quit messing with the purity of the gospel. Because anytime you change something in the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. And Paul's saying we have to protect this. And it should be a right thing for the men of God and the women of God to stand up for the word of God. There are some battles we should not fight. And then there are other battles that we should give our life for. And the purity and the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something we should be willing to give our life for. And Paul, he's just modeling the way. And he's saying this. Here's what he says in Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. He says, now, when Peter had come to Antioch, if you don't know much about the Bible, when Peter's name pops up, it's like, oh, MVP right here, okay? Peter's kind of a big deal. Uh, Jesus had like, uh, he had 12 disciples, maybe you heard this. And then he had like an inner three, and, and Peter was like, he was one of Jesus' BFFs, all right? And so Peter, when, when like his name pops on the scene, it's like, oh, yeah, he's the guy that we should learn how to follow Jesus from. And what Paul's saying, now, when Peter had come to Antioch, here's what Paul did to Peter. I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. You get the idea? You get this? So there's a conflict going on here, all right? You have two juggernauts of our faith, Paul and Peter, and Peter's saying, I, 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 I did something wrong. And Paul's going to Peter and he's saying, yeah, yeah, you did something wrong. You're to be blamed, bro. And I love this because um, here's just kind of a sidebar, that, that conflict between godly people should be face-to-face. If you have something to get somebody in here and you both claim to love Jesus, go to them and talk to them about it. Don't, don't, don't uh, you know, uh, subtweet them, all right? Uh, don't, don't, don't DM them like, you know, something weird that's vague and passive aggressive. Godly people, they go to one another and they work it out. And so what's happening is that Paul, he's going to this guy Peter, and so Paul's recollecting when he went to Peter and he's writing to these guys, he's like, you, you want to know whether or not I'm, I'm bothered by you or intimidated by you guys in Galatia? Paul's saying, I went to Peter, the apostle Peter. I went to Peter and I challenged him because he was watering down the gospel. And this is what he says. Here's what his beef was with Peter. In verse 12, he says, for before certain men came from James, James, another big deal, the half-brother of Jesus, these guys would have been men from Jerusalem. Galatia's in a different area. He says he would eat with the Gentiles. So before these guys from Jerusalem came down, these Jewish guys, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. Uh, but when they came, when the guys from Jerusalem came, it says he withdrew and separated himself, uh, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now, that's kind of an odd thing to talk about in our day and age, but basically you could just circle that word, or don't circle it. It might be weird if somebody else was reading your Bible, but just kind of think that that's, that's Jewish people, like really, really Jewish people. And so what Paul's saying is that Peter, he, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when the Jewish people came down, he's like, I don't even know the Gentiles. I don't even know those gods anymore. And then it says this in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So what's the problem here? Peter's being a hypocrite. That's the problem. And Paul's going to Peter and he's saying, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. I'm calling you out. And he goes on, he says this, so that even Barnabas, if you don't know much about Barnabas, Barnabas is like the nicest guy, all right? I don't know if you know the nicest guy. We were playing a game one time with a guy and we were like, if you could win anything in the world, what would you win? And it was one of these like, we have to guess what he would write down. And, and none of us got it right because we were all like bench press or like weightlifting or like MMA. And what he wrote down is, I want to be the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, all. Yeah, but I'm like, really? You know? 
Yeah, bro, don't write that down, all right? Anyway, that's Barnabas. He would have wrote, I want to be the nicest person in the world anyway. So Barnabas, even Barnabas was caught up in the hypocrisy. Verse 13, it says, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. That Peter, again, he was afraid of these guys, and so he, he separated himself. This, is, this would be the equivalent of our modern-day racism. And let me just say this. Racism is a sin from the pit of hell. All right, God made people of all color, of all nationalities, of all generations, of all social economic statuses, and all are welcome in the church of God. And so what's happening is that Paul, he's saying, hey, you don't treat people different based upon their country of origin or based upon their color or their, their laws or whatever it is. You treat people that are in the family of God especially the same. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You need to fight hypocrisy. Fight hypocrisy. Y'all know what hypocrisy is. It, it's literally, it means that you're acting one way. And, and, and you're, you're pretending to be this way, but really you're this way. Um, I don't know if any of y'all are basketball fans, any college basketball fans. Yeah, I figured there'd be some in the house. Uh, more specifically, any KU college basketball fans. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, rock, chalk, Jayhawk, right? Um, I just learned that phrase. And so again, I moved up here about five years ago. Um, my pastor is an avid KU basketball fan. He played football at KU. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, so he loves the basketball team. And... Uh, so, like, um, they, they had a good run this year, right? It was a big year for KU basketball, the first year that they've had a big run since I've been here. And so uh, it was a unique opportunity for me to kind of jump on the bandwagon, if I'm being honest with you. And so I found myself watching the KU basketball championship game, and I'm watching it at my pastor's house. Obviously, we weren't in New Orleans, unfortunately, but I watched it at my pastor's house, and, uh, and I show up, I didn't have any KU swag. Isn't that sad? We should change that. Anyway, but I did have a red Patagonia something in a blue shirt. And I figured KU and Lawrence, Patagonia, that's like the thing, right? And so I put that on. I show up. I'm like, rock chalk, you know. And, um, and I'm, I'm at the house. We're eating wings and pizza. And, and like early on, I, like I am, I am keenly observant. And so if, I'm, if I figure out like who is the player that the commentators are talking about, I will, I will act like I know that person, all right? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, me and this guy, we go way back. Anyway, halfway through the game, I'm watching with another guy from Texas that's not a big basketball guy, and he's like, bro, you're a big basketball fan? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm faking the whole thing, all right? And so I am cheering these people on. I'm acting like I know them. I'm wearing red and blue, but, y'all, I was playing the hypocrite, and I was faking the whole thing. I don't know what's going on with KU basketball to this day. But I showed up, and I faked it until I made it. And some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think that's okay with college basketball. But with Christianity, that creates problems. And Paul is calling Peter out because he was playing the hypocrite. He was treating people differently. And listen, if you claim to believe that God has your eternity, but he doesn't inform your today, and those are inconsistent, there's a problem, that Peter... He was being guilty of hypocrisy. Now, I don't know if you, ever, um, if you ever read the Bible and you're like, I can't believe they did that. Golly, I would never. You ever, do you ever do that? You know, you read like, like David and Bathsheba, you know. You're like, I can't believe David would look at a woman bathing. I would never, you know. And, and, then, and then probably more than likely, you know, that may be a struggle in the room tonight. Maybe you, you hear about somebody like denying Jesus and you're like, I can't believe that that person denied Jesus, I would never. I'm so much better than that person. And I'll just say, we're kidding ourselves when we do that, right? And so here's the point. If Peter, the apostle Peter, 
could fall into hypocrisy, then anybody can be a hypocrite, right? If this guy is struggling, this is not like pre-resurrection Peter. I think sometimes we think this is like, you know, pre-resurrection Peter who was bold and kind of dumb and denied Jesus. And we think that after he got restored in John chapter 21, Peter was just perfect the rest of his life. This is post-resurrection Jesus. This is post-receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter, excuse me. This is post-Peter preaching and doing all these great things, healing people. This is the Peter that has fallen into hypocrisy. And if Peter is guilty of hypocrisy, then any of us are guilty of hypocrisy. So we got to fight hypocrisy in two ways tonight. The first way we got to fight hypocrisy is in ourselves, in ourselves. So let me run a quick diagnostic. Are you a hypocrite? And listen, no one is beyond becoming a hypocrite. Again, Peter, he'd be the last person you would expect to do this. And when you become a hypocrite, what's happening, happening is that you are, it's causing you to do a few things. Here's five things that hypocrisy causes you to do from this text. The first thing is it causes you to misrepresent Jesus. The reason why Paul's having to go to Peter is because he's saying, bro, bro, you're misrepresenting Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is, he's a, he has created a movement for all people and then you're treating people differently. Bro, bro, that's not, you're misrepresenting Jesus. The number two thing that hypocrisy causes you to do from this text is, is it causes you to treat people differently. Verse 12. Again, the, the, Peter, he's playing, he's playing a, a little bit of, a, of an elitist mentality. Oh, I'm better than these people, and, and so I'm not going to eat with these, you know, those people anymore. That's what Peter's doing. And hypocrisy will cause you to treat people differently. You'll find yourself treating the rich people or the pretty people nice, and the people that are other, you won't treat them as nice. You're a hypocrite. The number three thing that hypocrisy causes you to do is it causes you to be a people pleaser. You begin to, to fall underneath the pressure of what other people's opinions are about you. And so many of you, you, you've come in here tonight and you've come in here to have your, your faith stirred up and then tomorrow you're going back to the office and you know that there's going to be pressure and, and you're just going to choose your narrative and you're never going to bring up something that you claim has been so significant in your life because you're, you're afraid of what they may say. And when you are a people pleaser, you are being a hypocrite. The fourth thing that hypocrisy causes you to do is it causes you to lead others to stumble. It causes you to lead others to stumble. Again, Peter, he's playing the hypocrite. So Paul's like, and Barnabas, and, and probably James, and the other people, and because you chose to be hip, hypocritical, because you said, hey, such and such is coming in to town this weekend. We should go to the club tonight. And it's like, I thought we were a small group at the church. It's like, yeah, but let's just go to the club. Uh, it's no big deal. We'll leave early. We'll leave at like 1 a.m. We'll leave early, and it'll be great. you know. And, and then you're bringing all these other people, and it's like, you're all like, and the one person's trying to dodge the background of the picture because you're posting something on your gram, you know, and it's like all kind of weird, and, and you're leading other people to stumble. Five things that hypocrisy causes you to do. The last one is it causes you to lack integrity. Lack integrity. Paul goes on and he just says that, that, that these people, they weren't straightforward. They weren't straightforward. So we got to fight hypocrisy in ourselves and we also have to fight hypocrisy in others. Peter's going, or Paul's going to Peter and he's calling him out. And he's calling him out because we all need to be called out from time to time. If you come in here and you are in willful hypocrisy, take off the mask. Listen, you don't have to pretend to have it all together. It's okay to not be okay. And for me, this is such a big part of my story, man. My private life didn't match my public life. I would hold open the door for people and I would be so nice and courteous, but then I would live for myself in the private. I would pursue lust in inappropriate ways I would pursue my own ego and try to manipulate conversations so that people would know how awesome whatever the thing was that I was doing. 
And when God began to reveal that to me, I had a choice to make. Am I just going to put a mask on and pretend like I've got it all together, or am I going to allow the Spirit of God to change me? And I came to the point in my life when I was a young adult that I would say, man, I lacked integrity. And when, and when I finally said, man, in, in 30 years, when I'm 50, when I was in this season of being 20-year-old, do I, do I want to be a 50-year-old that's a man of integrity, or do I want to be like my daddy? And look at his kids in the eyes and say, I love you, son, I love you, son, but give me some vodka. And it's confusing when you say you love somebody, but you love alcohol more. It's confusing when you say you care about somebody, but then you, you can't hold a job down. And that was my dad's issue, and I could see it clear as day. I could see the hypocrisy in his life, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm on the same path. And I need to change. And the first step to me coming out of that hypocrisy was being honest that I don't have it all together. And I think that, that we see this and we think, man, that's a little bit harsh that, that Paul would go to Peter. But listen, you don't like to hang out with a bunch of hypocrites. And sometimes we'll come to the church and we'll think the church is a building, but really the church is us. And we'll come to the church and it's full of all these people. And, and once you get to know some of them, oftentimes you'll be like, bro, this is like a masquerade ball spiritually. Everybody is faking up in here. And I don't know about you, but life is too short to hang out with fake people, right? Like I want to go to a place and somebody said, man, I don't have it all together, but I'm trying. I can work with that. I, don't, I can't work with the person that's like, I got it all together. I don't need anybody. I don't need any accountability. I'm like, bull. Because you're being fake. But we've also come here to be real, but we've also come here to read the Bible. And the Bible calls us to be honest, and then it calls us to repent. We got to change. We can't just be like, yeah, yeah, I screwed up. The Bible says that you have to confess your sin and renounce it. And that's what Peter's doing, or that's what Paul's doing with Peter. He says this in verse 14. He says, when I saw, he says, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live like, excuse me, if you being a Jew live like the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? What he's saying is that, Peter, why do you have a double standard? Uh, you're, you're not being straightforward. That word straightforward in the Greek is the word ortho-walking, like orthodontist. Your, your life is crooked, Peter, is what he's saying. He says this in verse 15, we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. He's kind of mocking Peter a little bit. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. You have to fight for the gospel. You have to fight for the gospel. The cure to hypocrisy is the gospel. The cure to your hypocrisy is not working harder. It's not trying better. It's being honest that you need Jesus to come and change your life and to help you with the things that you're struggling with. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, Peter, Peter, the problem is, is that you've forgotten the gospel. And Paul, he's fighting for the gospel. He's contending for the gospel. Again, in verse 14, he says, when I saw that you were not walking out the truth of the gospel, he's saying, Peter, Peter, I think you you would say that you know the gospel, but you're not living it. That Paul, the way he's saying that you fight the sin of hypocrisy is by reminding people of the gospel. He's not saying, hey, Peter, Peter, you forgot all the rules. And Barnabas, you, you forgot all the rules and, and you've and you got to work harder. He's not saying that. What Paul's saying to them, he's saying, you've forgotten the gospel. See, I think we slide into any of the stereotypes that y'all been talking about over the last couple of weeks because we have lost our gaze upon the gospel. The gospel is the main message of the Bible. I don't know if you know much about the gospel, but it is, like, it is like the foundation of our faith. 
It literally means the good news. And here in Galatians chapter 2, Paul introduces the gospel in this kind of courtroom language. He says this in verse 16. He says that you aren't justified by the works of the law, but you're justified by faith in Christ. If you know much about church, his, church history, this justification by faith, it's a really big deal. This phrase. And this is the first time that this phrase is used in the entire Bible. That you're justified not by your works. That's what the law means. Not by your ability. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What does justified mean? Well, it's, it's literally a legal term. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. It literally means that you declare a man on trial that he is not liable to the penalty but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. You're justified. To make it simple, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become, you become justified or you have right standing before God and it's just if I'd never done it. You're justified. That's how we say it in the South. Just if I'd, we make up words, just if I'd never done it. You're justified. And the only way that you can have right standing before God, the only way that you can pull off the mask spiritually, the only way you can be cured from your hypocrisy is not by you trying harder, not by you reading more of the Bible, not by you praying more, not by you getting chakra and going to yoga or doing whatever the thing that you do. It's not by you doing all those things. It's by you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The only way you can have right standing before God is you saying, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I'm a faker, and I need you to come and save me. And I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave, and I confess you as the Lord of my life. I'm not relying upon my works. I'm relying upon your work on the cross. And when you ask Jesus to save you, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and if you're going to be cured from hypocrisy, and if we're going to have a church that's full of powerful, impactful people that go out and make a dent in the kingdom of God, it's going to be people that fight for the gospel. Do you have clarity on the gospel? I preached a funeral this morning of a 23-year-old who had overdosed on drugs. And when I was talking with his mom and daddy, I said, hey, can you tell me about Zane's spiritual life? And they said, well, we don't, we don't have a lot of evidence. We, we, we are pretty sure that he prayed a sinner's prayer, but, but other than that, we really don't know. If I were to stand in front of your mama and daddy today, and you were laying in a casket, would you give me enough evidence to be able to look at your mama and daddy and say, he is in heaven, she is in heaven. And the only evidence that makes that have absolute certainty is if you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Don't miss that tonight. We've got to fight for the gospel. We've got to understand that when we put our faith in Christ, we're not liable to the penalty of our sin, but we're entitled to the privileges as if we kept the law perfectly as Jesus did. That's what the gospel is, that Paul is fighting for this clarity. He's saying, man, I, I've, got, I've, I've got to point your attention to this. This is the cure for hypocrisy. He goes on in verse 17, and he says this. He says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. He says, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? He says, certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What he's saying is if, I'm, if I say salvation by grace, but then I want to add all these works to it later, then, then that's, that's not the gospel, is what Paul's saying. 
goes on in verse 19, he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. What Paul's saying is I'm not bound to the law anymore as the means by which I have to have right standing before God. He's saying God has given me favor because I put my faith in Christ. And he says this famous verse that maybe some of you have heard before. In verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul is calling all of his audience. He's saying, man, I called Peter out and I'm calling you out too. I called Barnabas and the crew out. I called them all out. And so I'm not, I'm not afraid of you guys is what Paul is saying to this church in Galatia. He says, if I called them out for their hypocrisy, you better believe I'm going to fight for the gospel and I'm going to call you to live this straightforward life, a life of integrity towards the gospel. That Paul, he's fighting for the gospel. And then in this section, if you're taking notes, point number three, Paul's calling them to focus on the gospel, to focus on the gospel. Again, Paul is calling out their hypocrisy by saying, this is what you need to focus on. And you you see that? You see what he's doing here? He's just got, he's kind of like, he's rooting around in the redemptive work of Jesus, that Paul's saying, like, you're, you're, he's going to great lengths to defend the pure gospel. And he's calling these Galatians to focus on the work that Jesus has done for them. So tonight, question, are you focused on the gospel? When you woke up this morning, did you remind yourself of the glorious truth, if you knew it, that you are worse off than you really want to admit, but you're more loved than you could ever imagine? Is, is your identity being shaped by what Jesus says about you, or is your identity being shaped by what your boyfriend says about you? Is your identity being shaped by what Jesus says about you, or is your identity being shaped by what your feed says about you? How are you living in light of the gospel? When you mess it up, do you feel like God hates you? Or do you know that you're loved in Christ, and so you open up and you say, God, would you help me? How are you living in light of the gospel? Are you focused on the gospel? Well, you say, I don't, I don't know. I, I, what, practically, what do I do? Well, verse 20 is a great way that you know that you're focused on the gospel. Again, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I told you all that for me in my life, like I was, I was kind of like an, an, an open hypocrite, you know? Like I, I knew that God wanted me to be this, but I knew that I was heading in this direction. And I was like, I was trying to cross a barbed wire fence that was taught. I don't know if you've ever done this before. You ever done this? And going over the top rung. You know, you can imagine it's like, like you, you like grab the top barbed wire fence and then you step over, right? And then now you're doing one of these things, you know? And you're like, uh-oh, I need a hand, right? And because and you, if you do anything quick, you're going to tear something up, you know what I'm saying? And it's like I am, I am immobilized now. And this is the picture of some of y'all. And that was me. I was, I was, I was playing the hypocrite. And what happened is that I had to make a choice to return to the gospel and then ask God to give me the power through his Holy Spirit to begin to get free from the power of sin in my life. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get free from the penalty of sin. But it's when you start to follow Jesus that you begin to get free from the power of sin. Some of y'all, man, if you were to die today, you would spend forever with Jesus. But you have such a porn addiction tonight that you don't know how to get out of it. Some of y'all, if you were to die today, you would spend forever with Jesus, but you're in so much debt because you keep binge shopping and you got to have that new thing and you don't know how to get out of it. Some of y'all, you're, you're right with God, but every night that you look in the mirror, you hate what you see. 
Some of y'all, like, you, you, you trust Jesus with your eternity, but your singleness, you just don't know if you can trust Jesus with that. And you're delivered from the penalty of sin, but many of you have come in here tonight, and you're not delivered by the power of sin. And you're playing the hypocrite, and the world is watching you. And they're saying, you claim that Jesus rose from the grave and he changed your life, but you can't control your alcohol consumption? You claim that Jesus rose from the grave and he changed your life, but you're hooking up on Tinder again? You, you know, whatever the thing is, whatever your thing is that maybe you're gripped by, and for me, that was me. I was like, golly, if Jesus rose from the grave and he's going to give me heaven forever, surely he can take care of my porn problem. Sure that there's enough power left over for him to help me out. And I'm here to tell you that there is. And the power that God has to help you overcome the grip that sin may have over your life is available to you. But here's what it looks like functionally. It looks like you waking up and you understanding Galatians 2.20. Notice that Paul, he makes this thing personal. He says that I've been crucified with Christ. He's now turning the, he's saying, y'all need to get this right, y'all need to get this right. And then he look, he's like, look, guys, this is for everybody. I, I have been crucified with Christ. This is where the power to get free from your sin comes from. This is where the power to rip off the mask that you may be wearing comes from. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not concerned with someone else's sin struggle tonight. I'm not concerned with who should have been here tonight. I'm, concerned, I'm taking it personal tonight. I have been crucified with Christ. And notice what Paul says, I've been crucified. That insinuates a little bit of a sacrifice. This isn't, this isn't um, you know, this, this isn't like I'm just kind of easy breezy, just kind of drift towards godliness. Listen, godliness is not a sprint, it is a crawl. And if you're going to be a man of integrity, if you're going to be a woman of integrity, you're going to have to sacrifice some things, guys. I talk to men all the time about, about lustful things. It would be inappropriate for me to talk to you ladies, but I know this based upon research that it's not just a guy problem. And, and so there, I know that that's prevalent in this room tonight. And here's, what, here's the conversation. Man, I'm struggling with looking at porn, and I, don't, I know I don't need to be looking at porn. And, and I ask them, I'm like, yeah, man, hey, thanks so much for sharing that with me. I'm sorry that, that, that you're struggling with that. What are you willing to sacrifice? Where do you look at porn? On oh, my phone. Makes sense. It's easier to look at people have sex than it is to make a sandwich. Think about that. That's the world we live in. And I look at them and I say, would you be willing to do something, you know, a little bit sacrificial? And in my experience, in my 12 years of ministry, here's what I've learned. Most people are not willing to pay the price to get free from their sin. And so my conclusion is, is that most people will complain about their hypocritical ways, but they drift back towards them because they love their sin. And until you get broken over your sin, until you see the way that your sin is impacting your family, some of you say, well, I'm not married, I'm, I'm, I'm single. Well, get there, bro. Imagine your wife in 15 years and your porn addiction that continues on and you got to tell your three little girls that mom and daddy aren't going to be together anymore because of da-da-da-da-da. Get there. It, it, imagine you inflicting the pain upon your children that your mama did upon you. And then, and then run the tape back to where you are today and ask yourself, what am I willing to crucify today so that I can be a man or a woman of integrity? 
What am, I, what am I willing to crucify today? What am I willing to sacrifice so that I can be crucified with Christ? Paul, he says, this is personal. I have been crucified with Christ. When you're at the point of temptation, this is the truth that you cling on to. When, when that booty call comes in at, at 2 a.m. and that's the guy that you went to college with and you ain't talked to him in a year, but he was kind of cute and y'all had a little thing and he calls you or he slides in your DM, this is the point where you quote to yourself, even though you've been lonely for three months. And you say, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm going to delete him, delete, unfollow, whatever it is, because I know what he's after. He ain't after my heart. He's after something else. I have been, this is the truth that you walk out of the point of temptation. If you really want to get free from your sin, choose the crucified life. If you really want to get free from your hypocrisy, you got to say, I'm dying to the sins of my past. I'm dying to the shame that I feel. I'm dying to my prejudices, my bitterness towards others. I'm dead to my people-pleasing, my pleasure-seeking, my self-abasing, self-hating, self-inflating ways. I'm crucified to the comfortable, the conforming, the controlling, the compromising life. I have been crucified with Christ. And note this, the life I now live, I live by faith. And if you want to break the stereotype and crush it and crash it, this is what you need to live out as a result of coming here tonight. And allow your faith to inform your feelings. And allow your decision to say, I need to trust Christ with my eternity. And I need to die daily and follow Jesus. What would it look like if we lived this thing out? What if we made a commitment tonight to stack hands? And we said, man, for me and my house, I'm going to be a man or a woman of integrity. And the, and the accusations of hypocrisy against the church of America, we're going to turn that tide. And we're going to be men and women of God that rise up. This is a new generation. This is our generation. We're the greatest generation by virtue of population ever to walk the planet Earth. What that means is whatever we decide to get fired up about, that's what's going to be the new normal. And it starts in rooms like this. When you go to your places of influence and you say, I'm going to live out the Bible as best I can. I'm going to follow Jesus. And when I mess it up, I'm going to be the first one to admit, I need the grace of God. I'm a work in progress. And the world is longing for a generation of Christ followers who do what they claim to be. It's time to take off the mask tonight and to follow Jesus faithfully. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you just for this opportunity to gather here around your word. And God, I pray that it would do its work in our hearts as we sing these songs. God, I pray that we would be reminded of your goodness and that we would sing and declare that you are a gracious God, that you're one that saves. God, that we would see the antidote to any of our problems is not working harder. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's, it's our efforts that got us where we are. And so, God, I pray that we, would, that we would repent. What that means is that we would change the way we think, and it would lead to a change of the way we live. And, God, you would help us to be marked not by hypocrisy, but by integrity. And, God, you would work in these moments that, that we wouldn't waste our sacrifice to show up here at the Block KC tonight, but we would do business with you. Holy Spirit, whatever you're prompting upon our heart, Help us not to be resistant, but help us to be a willful follower of you. You knit us together in our mother's womb. You designed humanity. Surely you know what's best for us. And so God, I pray that if we're wearing masks tonight, we would pull them off. 
God, I pray if we're wearing the mask of anxiety but pretending like we have it all together because we don't want people to know that our perfect teeth and our perfect nails and our perfect stilettos and our perfect pro, uh, profile on Instagram, our perfect whatever has some cracks in it, God, I pray we would open up. If we're here tonight, we're wearing the mask of, of a sex addiction and, and there's something private we've never told anybody about because we were abused when we were a child and that unleashed this sexual curiosity that led us into all sorts of dark places. But then we came into this purity culture that exists in the church and we thought, I could never share what's happened to me. I could never share what I've chosen to do. And I pray that tonight we would take that mask off. Gotta pray if, if we're wearing the mask of caring about you when we're really just apathetic. And we claim that you changed our life, but we've never told anybody about it. God, I pray that you would help us to take the mask off and you would help us to be people of integrity. All we are are beggars coming to the cover to find bread from your kingdom. No one's better than the other. And God, I pray that we would minister to one another and we would allow you to speak to us now. And it's in Christ's name I pray.